What's up, guys? Welcome back to the West Vi Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Disruptive Adventism. Disruptive Adventism is a platform that encourages people to contribute to the changing of the fabric of Adventism through conversation, collaboration, and content creation. If you want to join in, head over to disruptiveadventism.org. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the West Five Podcast. I'm so glad that you have tuned in. I'm so thankful for everyone who's been supportive of this podcast as we've gone through this first season. I can't wait to share today's episode with you. You probably have seen, if you are a Seventh-day Adventist and you exist in the digital realm, um, Humans of Adventism. It's, It's a place where stories are shared of different Adventists and the experiences that they've had. It's a really neat project. I've been following it now pretty much since it started. And I'm really excited to have Caleb Isley on today to just kind of talk with him and and kind of pick his brain and and just kind of talk about the church and and how we do ministry from this perspective. His ministry has really opened up a lot of dialogue in the church about what it means to be an Adventist and, and, and kind of expose the reality that we all live in. I think that it's not just an Adventist thing, but a Christian thing that sometimes we want to isolate ourselves for fear of being judged um, or for fear of the church not looking unique enough that we we kind of stifle open dialogue about the the real world in which we live in and we don't always have it all together and and even though that we believe in jesus and and we've experienced salvation we still struggle with things like depression and addiction and and uh, the choices that we make in, in the life that we live, the culture we live in, and trying to, to, to square our, our identity as, as a human being, as our identity being a Seventh-day Adventist or being a Christian. And so Caleb has taken on this challenge of creating space for that conversation to happen so that we can be Adventist humans living in this world together and bring theology down to a connection point where it begins to impact real life. So I was really excited to get to talk to him. Um, and we had a great conversation. I will say there's a caveat here. There's a couple hard cuts. Um, I was using this software called Ringer. And uh, last week, my conversation with uh, Allison was the first time I'd used it. And this time with Caleb, we got cut off like two times. And uh, so the conversation kind of jumps in a couple places. I'm sorry for that. Caleb was super understanding because whenever Ringer hangs up on you, it then wants to upload the audio. And so it, it was big gaps in the middle of our conversation, but Caleb hang in there with me and uh, we got it done. So hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, I was really pleased to have the opportunity to sit down with Caleb and uh, get to talk with him and, and pick his brain and just really appreciate his perspective on the world and on on the church so i hope that it will be beneficial for you as well so have a listen i'll talk to you on the other side i think i mean i'm in a pretty new phase of life Mm -hmm. in that i my relationship with the institutional church is much more a part of my daily life now Mm -hmm. um so i i very much started what i was doing without 
any, any, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't expect any cooperation from the church. Um, I was just doing it. And I thought if anything, like they would probably come in and tell me to stop or I couldn't <laughs> use that as name or something because, you know, we, we feature stories of dissent and things like that. And so now having this combined, I don't know many people who are maintaining an independent platform and working for a conference. Um, I think that's a pretty new dynamic in my life. And, and just kind of, you know, feeling like you're, you're kind of a voice, a mouthpiece for the people, uh, kind of like the bottom of the, the leadership, you know, totem pole. And then mm-hmm. for, you know, actual conference president and that kind of thing. I, I have both of those going on at once. So, uh, that's, that's pretty new. I think, um, I'm in a phase of life where last year, you know, I was able to take three speaking engagements the whole year. And since October of last year, between then and and the end of this year, it'll be probably over a dozen. So it's been a really quick growth. And I don't know that I've really gotten too deep into that. But I, I've really in the past year been kind of pushed into the public eye in a way that I hadn't before. It had all, it, it all been behind a screen basically you know it's Mm -hmm. social media influence which matters but it's not the same as you know showing up on a college campus and standing in front of a whole bunch of people and you know going places and people recognize you and you don't know who they are (laughs) (laughs) so is is most of is is pretty much all of your speaking in adventist uh context or are you speaking outside of that um, I haven't really done a lot of speaking. I think if if something comes up, it might be like my college or something like that. But for the most part, it's Adventist events, communication events, young adult training, technology training, that kind of thing. Um, spoke at camp meeting here in Oregon. When you when you started out, you said that you you weren't expecting a lot of engagement from the church. Was that just because you just didn't think that they would be interested or was that kind of flowing from your experience? Was there something that was just telling you like, Oh, this is, this is just not going to go well. Like what was driving that kind of expectation? Well, my only experience with Adventism to that point had been very conservative Adventism. I mean, it was not pro internet. It was not, it was very against entertainment, anything secular. Um, and I mean, we had the pastor that I had for 12 years taught my Bible class said like the, the road to hell is paved by liberals and Democrats. So <laughs> in front of us, I mean, so my understanding of what Adventism was, was very different at the time where, you know, I'm featuring stories of people talking about women's ordination, talking about, I mean, being gay and Adventist, talking about problems with the tithe system. And that's not the, the overall message of all of them, but they're there, you know, they're included. And so it's like, man, I'm, I'm talking about some of these stories are about the problems people have with the Adventist church, even while being Adventist. So because I hadn't seen that from Adventist publications, I just assumed 
if I do this, it's going to put me on kind of the the opposing side of the Ooh. church, you know. And, and it wasn't my intent, but I just realized that it could very much be taken that way. Even though my heart is about you know healing and growth for the church, I I believe in the institutional church at some level. So how so how did that color like your approach then having that having that perspective like okay. I, I know I'm setting out to do something that's countercultural. Mm-hmm. How much, how much thought did you give to, um, how you presented the stories that you told? Like, were you thinking about that as you're putting them together? Cause I, I, I gather from your process that like you have a longer form interview and then you pick pieces out mm-hmm. to put together with your story. So, so how did you balance that to be like, to, to, to honor the stories of the people that were sharing them with you, but also not like balancing it. So you didn't just get so far out that just people just completely shut out. Did you think about that at all? Or did you just, I did, just but if I was, and say, I'm going to tell the story. If I was going to err on one side, since I'm not a pastor and the church has very little kind of punishment that it can do <laughs> to me. I mean, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I would err on the side of the people of the church, not the institution. So mm-hmm. I had no fear of the tithe base. I had, I knew there was going to be pushback from, you know, certain uh, cultures in our church. Um, but I think one thing that made this kind of take off is it was one of the only places that did air on that side. It wasn't trying to be too, you know, safe. It wasn't trying to uh, protect its reputation within Adventism. So, you know, I look at like, uh, spectrum, you know, and they're, they're kind of like that, that voice for, you know, kind of the more progressive liberal, I hate conservative liberal terms in the church because of the, the political connotations of it. But, you know, they tend to be more the progressive voice and they really lean into that. Like, how, how do you think about yourself in relation? Like, where do you kind of put yourself on the spectrum of where you're trying to communicate and what you're trying to achieve with, with what you're doing? Sure. I think, I think Spectrum is like solidly a liberal publication. Um, I don't know if that was their intent, but that's, that's what they're known for. Um, Mm -hmm. I was not avoiding the voices of conservative Adventists. I have plenty of stories from them. Um, it's just, I was trying to operate free of the, the fear of, I don't know being ostracized or, or losing my job as a pastor or something like that. I I just really, I Mm -hmm. want to know, I don't know. I I think especially in a lot of the controversial things, we have so much arguing about these things, so much theological debate. And what I really wanted to do instead was if we're going to talk about those things, talk about the lives of the people and how they're affected by them. Don't just, throw out an opinion and be mad. Um, yeah. So if you're talking about women's ordination, take someone who is experiencing something and show how it plays out in their life. Don't just say like, I think it's right or I think it's wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, whatever, I don't even know how people see what I'm doing. Honestly, I can only see my end of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. But, the the church has been surprisingly for me um 
just looking for a lot of ways to collaborate. They they can never kind of fully back something that somewhat opposes things that they're doing. But I will say that our relationship is very healthy. And mm-hmm. from most leadership, aside from some of the local conferences I belong to, um, it's just, you know, they, they see something of value there and some way that we can work together, even if it isn't owned by the church or uh, directed by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I really resonate with that because like one of the reasons that I, like when I first kind of came up with the idea to even do this podcast, right. It was after, uh, after annual council last year. And I was just like looking at the state of the church and, and it had been building, you know, we've just been in this crisis of just like polarization, uh, in in a very unique way for, I think, you know, basically since 2015 and just the the chasm is getting wider and the, and the, and the divide is getting, uh, greater. And, and I just, you know, I, I think about, you know, when people argue with one another and, it, and it's like, we totally lost the perspective that like, Hey, that's a person, right? Mm-hmm. We just see them as the, as the opposition. And there's, there's some notable, you know, preachers that I know have like their, their, their base for whatever side they were on, just because they took a, a different position on a, on a particular issue that like their base turned against them, even though fundamentally across the board, they were still, you know, still held most of the same positions, but you know, they, they came out as in opposition to the, to the, the base, you know, thinking of one's one side of the group. And so they just all of a sudden now, like they're completely, you know, (laughs) pushed away and, and, you know, maligned as being, you know, opposite of that, of that base. I mean, this has gone both ways, you know, liberal and conservative and, and like just because of on a single issue. Right. And we're not seeing the whole person anymore. So like I was looking at that going, okay, you know, I just want to have conversations with people and like, I initially started out and I don't think I've, I've really gotten to where I wanted to be, but like, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to have conversations about the issues at all. Like I wanted to talk with people who were squarely, you know, in, you know, affected by an issue without actually talking about the issue. So we're just talking about the person and not the issue. Because I, I think we, when we lose the, when we dehumanize the people on the other side, then we get to this place where we are now where we've got, you know, shadow organizations you know, maligning people's character to try to, mm-hmm. uh, to try to tear them down. Um, and with no, with no consideration to the person that, that they're, you know, damaging by their behavior. Yeah. So let's talk about story for a little bit, like the importance of people's story. Like, why do you, I mean, what do you think is the greatest thing we have to gain from, listening, you know, valuing someone as a person, listening to their story and, and, and getting away from just, you know, seeing them as the issue that we disagree on. Yeah. I I think there are a lot of things. I think number one is especially relevant for the Adventist church because we haven't created a lot of space for people to share their real authentic stories. Um, what we have is testimony time which is supposed to cover that. But what testimony time generally ends up being is I had a major problem. I prayed to God. It was taken away. I'm over it. The end. It's a victory story. 
mm-hmm. right? And and you hear the same kind of copy pasted format because people feel like that's the only one that they're safe to share, right? You can only talk about your your recovery from addiction, not my current addiction. You you can only talk about mm. um, recovery from anger, recovery from something, you know, all of these different issues. But until you've recovered, it's not safe to talk about them, right? It, we're missing the middle. And community is not built well if you can't talk about the middle. Um, we, we don't end up knowing each other very well. Um, so I think, I think, number one, we're more connected and empathetic with people if we actually know some of the details of their struggle while they're going through it. And I think we could really, you know, when we're talking about, you know, youth leaving the church, all of these different issues, part of the problem isn't just worship style or things seem old. It's that we're not connecting with each other well. I mean, there there isn't a lot of interest in getting to know you. Um, I would say that's changing, but definitely, I mean, I remember sitting in Sabbath school. And I can't tell you how many times I heard about, like, the youth are just, you know, they don't want to be in church because they want to party or they want to drink or, you know, they want to do all these wild things. Well, uh, very much was not the culture that I was seeing. Um, If you look at statistics where, I mean, just look at alcohol consumption in my generation. Look at the amount of people, like, bars going out of business because we're not showing up there. For me, I'm seeing youth culture and I'm saying, no, they're at home playing video games or like getting together for board games. Like, do people do these things? Yes. But you're talking about the youth of a different generation or you're talking about Mm -hmm. a a subset that is not representative of what I see being part of the people you're talking about. And, And the way that you would know that is just by intentionally getting to know more people. Um, mm-hmm. part of the breakdown, I mean, a lot of our communication now is, is online. And if you're unwilling to go online, well, you're not going to see, um, or, or be exposed to the, the, the ways that the culture works or the interactions that we have or all of these changes. If you're not intentionally finding ways to get to know people constantly. And so I think, I think you know, base level relationship building is something that we're lacking, even in in how we do evangelism. Sometimes it's like convince people to get baptized. And if they're in your church, that's success. Well, no, it's not. Not if they don't have a relationship with people. If you look at how many people leave after baptism, you know, we lose people almost as fast as we baptize them. And part of that is, is there's no relationship. It's convince you to do the act and that's it. And mm-hmm. I think there's an infrastructure and a foundation that comes from relationship building that, that we're just missing. Um, I, one person that I, I learn a lot from is, uh, Dr. Heather Thompson day. Uh, she's done a lot of research into the kind of science of storytelling when you listen to somebody's experiences, you actually put yourself in their shoes and it makes you consider things in a way that you haven't been able to before. It's, it's not even about wanting to or not. It's that when you talk about issues in theory, you use a certain logic 
based on what you know. But when you hear it in someone else's experience and you see how complicated life is and all the different variables that they're dealing with, and then you ask yourself, what would I do in their shoes? The answer is a lot harder to come up with. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, one of my churches is really struggling with, you know, getting older and realizing that the young people aren't coming. And, and so the other night we just had this discussion and, and one of the older members, which I was encouraged by, um, just kind of went off on the fact that, you know, like our worship service isn't engaging and why would young people want to come to this church when we do things like this? And, and, you know, so it was good on the one hand to, to see that, um, that recognition, right? That, that, that there's, because that is part of the conversation, but, but I, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to, to kind of counterbalance that with, you know, if we just change the worship service, then that doesn't mean that young, the younger generations are just going to start coming to church. You know, like there needs to be this dialogue that happens. Like we need to spend time together and get to know each other because it's not just about the older generation bowing out and just doing whatever they think the younger generation wants to happen. You know, both, both sides of the conversation need to come to a, a point of empathy and understanding to recognize like what, what is really important. Because I think, you know, there's studies coming out all the time and, and, you know, studies are what they are. Like they give us insight, but you can make a study say whatever you decide you want it to say, honestly. And, but, you know, like the reality is, is that there's not, it's not just a, you know, a progressive contemporary worship style yes. that, that, that the younger generations are looking for. Like there's more to it than that. There's, there's this, there's community that, that I think is really the important part. And, and you don't know that if you don't, like you said, like if you're not interacting with, with the people that you're trying to understand, then you just, you just take this theory of what you think it is that is happening over there. And then you try to respond to that and you may not, you may miss the ball completely. And I think a lot of churches have really suffered from that because they they try to make changes that they think mm -hmm. that the people they're trying to reach would want to have without talking to the people that they want to engage. And then the people they're trying to engage don't engage. And so they think that it was completely worthless. And and then they start judging that person. And I think that's how you get to the place like, oh, well, they're not interested. They don't want to be part of this because they weren't responding to what you thought they should respond to mm -hmm. without without talking to them. And, uh, and getting, getting to know, um, the other person I'm finding that as a pastor, like, you know, is, you know, now, you know, I, I've preached for a long time. I I've been, you know, an elder in churches. I I've done ministry in a lot of contexts, but it, but it, it changes when you become a pastor because people start telling you things about themselves that they don't tell an elder and they don't just tell someone in ministry. Like when you're their pastor, you get access to a different part of the person. And, and I knew that in theory, but now that it's starting to happen and I'm starting to hear this, like it, it really changes the dynamic of like when I'm, when I'm thinking about, you know, sermon preparation and, and what I'm going to, you know, how I'm, what I'm going to teach and, and how we're going to, what we're going to do in prayer meeting, like all those things start to be impacted by, you know, the individual stories of the people that I'm trying to minister to. And it, you know, it's actually really challenging to, <laughs> for me, like I'm, I'm really struggling with how to, uh, relate because there's such a, you know, a broad, um, variation in what people are dealing with and, and how they see the same issue and then trying to walk that line to, you know, minister to this broad body of people. But, 
And maybe that, you know, maybe that's why some people don't like to, uh, <laughs> to do that work. You know, like I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but you know, I know several, you know, ministerial secretaries who told me like, you know, visitation is, is, is not a huge, uh, part of pastoral ministry, uh, for younger pastors. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I just wonder if part of that reason is, is that, you know, we're almost like reluctant to have to be pulled in all those different directions when we start, you know, really getting to know people on the, you know, on a, on a very deep personal level. Mm-hmm. You know, I've found though, I've, I've interviewed all kinds of people. Um, and what I've found is like, people do have the same basic needs. Like you're not going to convince everybody to fall on the same side of issues or even agree with each other. But everyone needs to feel seen and they need to feel like they have purpose and value. And I think that there's a way to build that. I mean, as you're talking, my story of coming back to church is coming to a church that didn't have a cool service. It it didn't have other young people. It didn't have a program for me. Um, but what it did have was people who were genuinely interested in me and wanted to help me kind of pursue the goals for serving the church that I had, where they weren't trying to force me into something that was existing. I was able to come up with ideas and they could get behind them at some level, even if they didn't fit with what was already there. And, you know, I, I learned a lot about, about them working with them and, and, you know, why they thought the things that they thought and, and reacted the way that they did and that kind of thing. And it wasn't always easy, but that basic relationship where we were intentionally looking for ways to spend time together and get to know each other. And even when we disagreed, we kept coming back to the relationship. I think that's the part that I'm really about, you know, that I'm really um, craving and trying to initiate in church. And, and sometimes that, that means taking out some of the issues that we're dealing with and and talking about them. You know, sometimes it, it, it involves uncomfortable feedback. Um, but if you can have people who genuinely want to hear other people and even if they still come to different conclusions, you know, that's, that's the starting point of people of all ages, of all backgrounds. It's just, wanting a relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have someone that I'm, that I'm really close with and they, uh, you know, we, we had had a relationship. It was, it wasn't, I don't want superficial sounds like a bad word, but it wasn't a very close relationship. And, uh, and they got really upset with something I said one time in a sermon and, uh, and they came and they just, they just laid into me for like 45 minutes in the middle of a, of a church meeting. Um, they just showed up and just started blasting me. And, uh, and I just, I just let them go. Like, even though it was a church meeting and, uh, and there were other people there, like, I just, I just let them vent it all out. And, and then finally just, you know, gave them, gave them what I felt was fair time until they were kind of just circling around and around. And I just asked them, I said, okay, you know, you know, let's talk more after, but can we get on with the meeting? And they did. And then, you know, we stayed by after for a really long time and, and just talked and, and, you know, we didn't come to a point of agreement on what I had said, 
um, and, and, you know, our feelings on the matter of what I said, but out of just spending that time and not, not being combative, like I wasn't trying to convince them, right? Like I knew, I knew I wasn't going to convince them to, to agree with what I was saying, Mm -hmm. you know, but I just listened to them and I heard them out. And now like, you know, I just have this great amount of love in my heart for them. And I know they have the same for me, even though we still pretty much like don't see, you know, a number of theological issues eye to eye. And we know that we're like on opposite ends of the spectrum, but yet we still just have this really great, you know, care and relationship with one another. Um, and that, that came out of like listening and just hearing the person out and, and that, that was really informative for me to help me understand how to deal with, um, you know, people who see things differently than me. Like we spend so much time trying to convince, uh, convince other people to, to see things our way rather than just allowing a person to be who they are and, and just loving them and caring for them. And I think that that, that's where real life change happens is whenever, you know, like you were saying, like when we can just have authentic openness in the struggle and not have to, you know, wait until we get to some place of achievement before we can really open up and and share who we are. Um, so when, at at the church, when you, when you started to come re-engage with the church, what were some of the things that they did that, uh, that made you feel appreciated? Like, I think a lot of times what I've seen is that churches will want to involve the young people. And so they'll just like, just put it a hundred percent on this young person who's maybe (laughs) not even like super engaged with the church and just be like, what do you want to do? All right, go do that. You know, and like send them off. And then, you know, and then when that young person, you know, all alone doesn't stick with it or whatever, they're like, see, they, they just don't, you know, like we can't get them to do anything. They won't stick with it. Like what, what was, what was it like for you in that experience in that, in that small country church? And like, how did they, how did they support you and make you feel, um, valued and, and, and like, what was that process for, for you? Is there anything you can point to and say, this is, this is what it needs to look like when we're trying to engage someone who's disenfranchised. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a young person, but just someone who's disenfranchised, who doesn't see their place in things, how, what, what made a difference? Yeah. I, I always kind of condense this story because it's, it's got so many arms to it. Um, but I do think, I do think starting by asking my opinion when I was outside the church really made a difference for me. Um, I started talking with the, the pastor and several of my family members had joined this church before I did. And really he was just like asking me questions like, you know, even if you aren't going to come back to church, I still value your opinion. Like what, what would be something useful? What would be something that we could do that, that would be attractive and helpful and valuable for people your age in our community? And, and they didn't put all that pressure. Like, like everything I said was a hundred percent the answer. You know, I didn't ever feel like, Mm -hmm. like it was up to me to decide and, and no one else would work on it. It was just that my feedback mattered. And honestly, the fact that several people wanted a relationship with me 
without the sales pitch. Um, you know, I had, I had the pastor would come and eat lunch with me and we didn't have to talk about church. We didn't have to, you know, there, there was no point where he's like, well, this food has been good, but if you still want to, you know, continue meeting, you're going to need to take some responsibility, you know, nothing, nothing like that. There was, I, I genuinely felt like he wanted to, to spend time with me as a human being, uh, without the kind of reward of the number of me coming back. You know? mm-hmm. And, and with the older members, I mean, I was, I was very broke. I got married young. I was in college. We didn't have a lot of income. And some of the older members were finding things where they're like, Hey, if you need some extra work, I'll pay you fairly. If you come out on Sunday and help me in my garden, or, you know, I can find things that I need help with. If you need to make a little extra money. And it wasn't mm-hmm. a requirement to be part of church for that. I was being included in the community in ways that, that I could understand and identify with and, and relate to even before I joined the church. And so I think going back to that step one relationship building, finding areas where our, our lives do intersect in healthy ways, that was a big one. I also think just... I felt like when I talked, people listened. And and I think that's a really hard thing to find where it wasn't always that they saw things the way I did, but they genuinely wanted to hear me and understand my perspective and my life. And I think as a young Adventist, that's, that's pretty rare. Um, there's a lot of patronizing and, and opposition that comes when you talk to older members where, yeah, yeah, that's your opinion, but it'll change. Or, you know, you think that because you're young or, you know, whatever it is, you think that because you, you're naive or deceived or whatever. But there isn't a lot of really sitting down and saying, you know, maybe there's something to this, you know, or tell me more about this. Um, and I just, I just think that they were, they were good at that. And when I did come back to church, I was pretty clear where I was like, look, I know what goes on in the Adventist church. I know the basic tools that we use. I know we knock on doors. I know we do, <laughs> we sing at nursing homes. Like these are the things that, that mm-hmm. we do. <laughs> our social get togethers are a Hallmark movie and, you know, special K loaf. All right. So I know these mm-hmm. things. I've grown up Adventist. My family has been Adventist for generations. So I just want you to know that I'm not really interested in those things. I do want to be part of this community. I do want to be active, but I have a whole lot of different things to bring to the table that I think could be really helpful. And I think that we can do both, right? Where we can have the things that are working. We can mm-hmm. go serve in these different ways, but we can also bring in some new things. And they were really receptive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a we had a church of people who didn't use social media that were willing to buy the church a computer so that we could start a Facebook page and um, started this this series on understanding each other uh, across generations. And people loved it. You know, the, the, just the fact that they wanted to know that was enough for me because mm-hmm. it was so different from what I'd been exposed to. You know, I, I very much felt like mm-hmm. if you're not with the program exactly how it is, you need to leave kind of thing. 
And so coming into this area right. where I had judged the people there, I had seen the church, I had seen the people there and I had been like, I'm not coming here. You know, I, I, I'm used to these environments. I don't want any part of it. And it turned out that they were actually different. They're different than what I thought. Hmm. How long was the process of like, you know, the, the interactions without like the pressure to come back to church? Like what was the time frame for that? Like how long were they, were they, you know, including you in the community before it became like, before you decided to, to engage like as a church yeah, member? It was kind of on and off for a couple of years. Um, my, hmm. my parents, my mom had left the church since I was probably six years old. Um, she'd grown up Adventist. She'd raised us Adventist. And then when my parents divorced, she was culturally Adventist, but didn't really go to church my whole childhood or anything like that. And then my stepdad was never Adventist and they both joined and committed and took up leadership roles at this church. So I saw them really take responsibility and, and really make some changes. And I think that that inspired me, but it wasn't enough. Um, I didn't want to come to church just because of that, but then kind of being exposed through them to the different people at the church where, you know, I'd show up to be doing laundry at their house or <laughs> something like that. And there would be church members over or, um, you know, the, the pastor I had met through them, and he started hanging out with me outside of church. And, you know, it was, it was just a lot of contact points over, I would say, a period of two years um, where I didn't mm -hmm. attend, but I was, I was connected with the community and its people at some level through my family. Was there a point where, like, where there, there was the, the, the pastor came to you? I mean, obviously, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but I would think, you know, family would is a different animal, but, like, where the church was like, you need to make this decision, or did they just like no. completely wait for you to make? They never decision did that. Own? And and if they had, I probably wouldn't have joined. Um, the the sales pitch, I was waiting for it. Right, I know the system, mm -hmm. I know the trends and how we do things, and I was actually waiting for someone to kind of try to force my hand, so that I could say, "See, there it is." This is why I don't want to be part of church. Mm -hmm. This is what it's about. And because they didn't do that, because they didn't try to push a decision, because they genuinely wanted to know me, that's why I joined. Do you think that's the case for everyone? Like, I struggle with this a lot. And in, in this is, when is the right time to, to invite someone to make a decision? Because I've been part of a ministry in the past where you know, our whole focus was on building the relationships and and getting to know the people, like no strings attached, like Ellen White calls it disinterested uh, benevolence, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, just caring for people, building relationships, not with the intent of, like, trying to uh, get something out of the person, but just caring for them. And so, you know, we did that. We went door to door and found out the needs of the community and just tried to be part of the community. But... And, and a few people made decisions, but it was always kind of this tension with us. Like, when is the right time to, to take that next step, right? Like, how long do you wait before you do make that appeal? Because, you know, I, I think especially for someone who has like roots in Adventism, like, you know, if we've been 
on the negative side of that, like just that constant pushing and whatever, like it sounds like, like, you know, like that you had experienced and I experienced the same thing. It's like, you just trying to get something out of someone. But on the other side of that coin, there is, I think there is a need to like invite people. So, so what are your thoughts on like how to balance that? Like how to, to, how do you know when it's the right time to like give that invitation? Or do you think that there, that, mm. that there needs to be that time to give the invitation or do you just wait for the person to, and then the Holy spirit to work with them to bring them to that point? Yeah. I, I, that's a hard question for me because I know where my bias is. You know, it's, it's definitely that invitation is such a, I'm, I'm almost repulsed by it, um, because of negative experiences. But I, I do know that there is a place for letting people know that they are wanted and they are needed in our community as part of the church. Um, but outside of, of building a relationship with them first, it's very hard for me to see an appropriate way to do that. I, I think the sad part is that we are somewhat driven by numbers and baptism. And I think once you introduce that business side of things, it really, it really colors my idea of, of what we're doing when we invite somebody to join our church. Mm. Um, you know, I think if we're going to do that and invite someone, and I think we should at some point, I think it needs to be coming from a place of you specifically. We want you around, you know, we want to share a life in a community with you. And so so much of that has come from a very authoritative, pushy side for me, where it's like, we have the answers and you need them. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> you need to be part of this because we're going to save you. Uh, I, I have a real, a real hard time with that, but I will say that even the, even the church I'm in now, I see it as a healthy thing. I see it as something that could really benefit people. And honestly, it's a place that I want to bring people to. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would be much more comfortable saying, hey, I think not only not only would there be things that you could benefit from, but I think our church could really just just learn a lot from you. You know, I think that, that you have something that God has given you to bring to the table. I think that you have something that that could change us, too you know, or, or add something to the conversation. Um, I think if you can go about it from there, it's, I don't know if there's a, a specific time that works, but I do think it's after the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, one of the things that, that I'm really struggling with in my, you know, I, I like to consider myself a recovering conservative. And so mm -hmm. I used to be very focused on, you know, doctrinal knowledge and that, mm -hmm. you know, and so now, and, and so when I wasn't a pastor, right, it was very easy to have that, that perspective. But now that I'm a pastor, like I'm already seeing like the challenges that come when someone is a member and don't, mm -hmm. and, but they don't understand why we believe what we believe or even agree with what we believe, but they, they become a member of the church and now they have, um, 
you know, voice and vote in the direction of the church without mm-hmm. really being grounded in, in why we are Adventist, um, you know, because it's more than just the Sabbath. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so like I'm wrestling with this because like on the one hand, like I want us to be, you know, open and inclusive and like, and, and I, I believe, you know, fully what we've been talking about here, like, there needs to be this relationship. People need to be able to engage with us without feeling like they're being required to make some commitment from a, from a minister of the gospel perspective. Like I feel like baptism should be made available apart from the baggage of, of the rest of, of the, of the package of Adventism, right? That's probably a dangerous thing to put on public record as a pastor, but like, you know, I think that, that, there needs to be like this, this separation between allowing someone to make a commitment to Christ versus becoming a member of the church. And then we put all this expectation, like all this needs to happen in this short period of time up front so that we can get baptism so that our numbers match. Right. So we've got all these different dynamics at play and Mm -hmm. like, and then all that impacts like our, I feel like it, it, it makes it very difficult for us to not have an ulterior agenda. And then, where I was going with that is, is like, how do we, you know, how do we involve people? Right. Because I, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot of people who just want to serve, want to be part of a community and in serving and being part of that community, that's going to allow them because they're going to be able to be part of the body of Christ. Right. They're going to be able to experience that and realize that. And that's going to bring them to the point of commitment. But mm-hmm. like our system, is set up so that you really can't be part of like the body without being a member of the body. And I, I don't know. I just feel a lot of, a lot of tension with that of like, how do we, how do we reshape our culture so that we mm-hmm. can protect? I mean, there is the need to, to maintain, you know, the distinctiveness of our doctrine such as it is, but also like, I feel like that's almost becoming a hindrance to us engaging people on the level that, that culture demands at this point in history. Yeah. That, I, was, <laughs> that was a, a, just a kind of a long ramble and I didn't really get to a question, but I just, you know, it's, it's what I'm struggling with. Like how do we balance those two things out? I have, I have a little bit of freedom. I know as a pastor, uh, these kind of conversations can be somewhat tricky. Um, I am not a pastor, so I'll just say on my end, um, assuming that what we have now is correct is really dangerous. Uh I think there is some level of faith that we have to have in in everything, but when it comes to doctrine, I don't care what time period you go back to, we've always been wrong Mm. on serious things. Okay, and we've been right about things, but I mean, if you go back to, I mean, the early days of Ellen White, if you go back to the church at Martin Luther's time, if you go back to the church at Jesus' time, really the church at any point in the Bible, unless you're talking about the specific group of believers in Acts or whatever, any time we've always assumed that what we have now is right. And it makes it really hard to grow because uncovering knowledge is a, an endless process. And, un, and revealing more of what God is telling us is an endless process. Meaning that no matter where we are in history, we are wrong about important things. And so I think that we sometimes can cling too much to doctrine. And finding that balance is really difficult. 
because there are going to be people who come along that teach us how to be better than we are. Mm-hmm. Right? There, there are going to be reformers that come in the future. They're going to reform what we have now. Um, and, and we've always resisted this. The reformers have always been the ones that were outcast from their church, you know, and, and it's really hard for us to, to think of ourselves as the ones who will push out reformers, who will resist God's actual word for us. And, you know, there, there is a balance between, you know, what is an Adventist, but also leaving space for what we assume we know right now could be there's there's room to grow mm-hmm. uh, that's all that's that's all i'm saying is mm-hmm. um w- no matter when you lived you would assume that what you were being taught is is you have the most knowledge of all ever and maybe that's true but a hundred years from now they're going to look at our church and say thank goodness this reformer came along <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and fix things, you know, or, or helped us grow. And, and I think just knowing where we are in, in the, the broad span of history and, and knowing that there are things to come and that we don't understand everything that God has for us. That's, that's mm-hmm. the point of personal Bible study. That's a point of a relationship with God is, I mean, always growing. And if, mm-hmm. if we take the attitude that we don't have room to grow, or that, you know, we are solidly correct on where we've come with our theology and everything. I mean, we, we, as soon as we take that attitude, we become the Pharisees. You know, we become the, the Catholic Church at the time. You know, we become these different, uh, resistant forces to God's will. And so I think, I think I almost err on that side of the, of, of things where I'm, I'm afraid that we will, we will buckle down on what we know and what feels safe and what's been taught to us, and we'll actually miss what God is telling us. Mm-hmm. So, kind of coming back around to humans of Adventism, like what's what's been like one of the biggest wins for you in terms of the impact that the stories you've told have had, like on the church yeah. or just on individuals? Like what's, what's been some of the biggest wins for you? Well, I've, I've seen a lot of really great things. I would say like the effects are very diverse. Like there, there is no one single thing that comes of this except for people connect with each other. Um, the, the biggest thing though is honestly seeing a demographic of people that's always talked about as like the people who don't like church, who don't want to be part of it, um, really get energized and excited and, and build community together and, and be excited about something that, that does have the Adventist label. Um, I mean, you've got college kids and just a lot of people that, that don't tend to connect well, uh, with the church. But I think there have been some deeper things where, um, for example, we shared a story about uh, abuse from uh, spiritual leaders where people have, have suffered abuse at the hands of people who work for the church and pastors and things. And I've, I've actually seen just in the comment section, people form support groups together and, and 
get together and, and find other people. And all these people were coming in saying, you know, I've never heard someone else verbalize something like the experience that I went through. And they were able to find each other based on one person's story. Mm. And I just think, you know, any way that, that people are coming together in healthy ways and, and growing together and finding new connections with each other and finding community, I think the, the community building is, is the, the best, the best product of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I've even had, there was a, a kid in high school, um, who showed up, they had a, a high school, like, morning news station where it would show up on all the TVs in school. And, uh, she was Adventist and she showed up wearing an Adventist human shirt, right? So she's in her public high school on the news with this Adventist human shirt reporting for her school. So, you know, just the ability to be proud of, of her faith and, and public about her faith. I think that was super inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, but really the bottom line is just people talking about things that matter and things that they haven't had the opportunity to and growing closer together. What I'm really after is relationship building. And I think that, that that's something that we desperately, desperately need in the Adventist church and to be able to initiate that and, and over a long period of time, help people grow together. I think that's that's the biggest thing that keeps me coming back to doing it. Is the um, the objective of what you're doing with Oregon really just to kind of be like a a localized reproduction of what you were doing with Humans of Adventism, or what is there a different kind of goal with what they're having you do as part of your work with with the conference there? Yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it. I think also they've recognized that it's it's pretty challenging to have relationships and, and humanize the conference itself with its members. Um, I think that you get these big decisions that are made from your local conference or the NAD or the GC or whatever. And you just sort of label like, well, I don't like the GC because this came out of it, or I don't like the NAD or my conference or whatever. And, and we don't realize that there are a lot of people involved in those processes and they don't all have the same opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there are people who resist and take an opposing side to everything that comes out. It's not just everyone who belongs to this thinks this certain way. So part of my, my task with the Oregon conference too is to get both the members and the conference leadership uh, to have a little more of a human face for uh, people who don't get to interact with them regularly. So I noticed, you know, one of the things, like I, I, in my personal experience, you know, like I, I see that, right? Like I have had experiences with conference leadership that it's like, if I just look at, at the decisions they're making that I disagree with, right? Like I, I have, you know, one perspective on the leadership, but if I, you know, am able to have like a personal relationship with them like that then colors my understanding of why they might make those decisions or at least help me to be a little more gracious when I don't agree with mm -hmm. decisions. Um, but I, I'm just thinking as you were talking, like 
uh, and I know it's still early in the process, but I mean, are you going to do stories on like the actual, like the administrative leadership of the conference? Like I know you've done uh, a series on the pastors and now you're, you're opening it up more to uh, just anyone in the conference, but I didn't, I haven't seen anything that's like where it's the actual, like, you know, president of the conference and, and his story. Like, are you going to get there or are they kind of like, are they waiting to see kind of what the response is? Cause I mean, I know there's a lot of pressure on them, you know, and, and things can go sideways if the wrong element of the church decides to key on something. But, um, you know, is that, is that in the plans or did I just miss it? You know, I'm not saying I've seen every single post that's come out, but. So we haven't, we haven't done a specific series like hashtag conference leadership or whatever, mm-hmm. but the, the conference, uh, leadership does show up in there pretty regularly. Um, I think that we rely a little more on people knowing, you know, these are my ministerial director or these are, mm-hmm. you know, the, the different people because they belong to the conference here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're, they're mixed in. Pastors are still mixed in there. Uh, conference leadership, your average member. Um, they're, they're kind of all together now. Um, we started with pastors because they were a little bit of a captive audience and they were, <laughs> you know, they already, right. they already work for the conference. We know where to find them, that kind of thing. Um, but the goal has always been to, to cover kind of the, uh, broad area of who belongs to the conference. So you've got, I mean, communication directors in there all kinds of different people. Um, but yeah, we, we already have that going on. I haven't gotten the president yet. I'm sure that will happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's already part of the, the process right now. Well, good. Well, I know. So I just saw you just pass like your 200 almost 250 stories on humans of Adventism. Do you yeah. have, do you have any, um, any like long-term goals with the project or any kind of evolutions that you're working on that are, that are coming? Yeah, absolutely. I, 2019 has been a year of repositioning for me. I mean, I, I dropped everything and moved 40 hours across the country to, to get to Portland. Um, so the process this year has really been training that I haven't had. So, um, training on equipment, training on, all kinds of different things, even just public speaking and that kind of thing. Um, I'm hoping that 2020 is is the year that I'll actually get to reveal some of the results of that training. Um, I have several different the really one of the goals that I've been talking up quite a bit since I started this is a physical book. Um, finding ways to share these stories for people who are not online or who want. Who want to be able to go through a whole bunch of them uh, without just scrolling through Facebook forever? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's that, that's already in the plans. What that actually looks like uh, is still being decided, uh, but I think that's probably that's probably the next thing that you see. That or um, I'm also putting together ideas for a, a film series, web series based on humans of Adventism where we actually sit down and, you know, have say a topic for an episode like loss or hope or success or careers or something like that Mm -hmm. and actually get 
you know, five to 10 Adventists in their environment talking about these things. Um, but I, I just think whatever I do, I think long-term I'm never about like immediate results, immediate quick, get something done. I want it done well. So, you know, if it takes, if it takes a year, if it takes two years, I would rather take that time and do it right because I would like this to be something that exists when I'm 50. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, lots of things I I would say, uh, as far as like specific confirmed news, uh, there's not anything ready for that at this point, but definitely a lot of development. Awesome. Well, man, thank you so much. Thanks for dealing with, uh, the, uh, (laughs) the technical difficulties and, um, whittling out some time to, to talk with me and I really appreciate it and, and really a big fan of, of what you're doing. So Yeah, thanks absolutely. So Thanks for having me. All right, awesome. Yeah. All right, guys, that is it. That's a wrap on season one of the West Vibe podcast. Caleb, thank you for joining me for this episode. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who took time out of their lives to sit down and, and chat with me and open themselves up and be recorded. Um, this year has been just absolutely amazing for me to to get to, to do this project, to have these conversations. And each and every person that has been on the show has has impacted the way I see the world and the way I approach life and the way I approach ministry. And so I appreciate each and every one of the guests who have come on the show. And um, I'm just really grateful for them being willing to share themselves with me and with you, the listener. And I hope that as you have listened, uh, that that you have had similar uh, impact from the conversations that, that I've shared on this show. Um, it's just meant a lot to me. And so I just want to express my gratitude to each and every person who has, um, been part of this with me. That being said, um, big thank you to Andrew at 42 design.co. He has been a consummate supporter of the show. Thank you, Andrew, for your contribution to helping me make this a reality this year. And uh, also to Jose and Disruptive Adventism, thank you guys for uh, supporting the show, for uh, being a sponsor and and helping me to get this done. Uh, This would not have happened without your support. So thank you very much. If you uh, haven't already checked out Disruptive Adventism, head over to iTunes and find their podcast, or you can go to disruptiveadventism.org to connect with them online at their website. All right, so season one, it's a wrap. It's in the bag. I'm excited to get to work on season two. Can't wait to see what 2020 is going to have in store. I hope that uh, that we will meet back here on the show next year. We'll talk to you then on the West Vibe Podcast. <laughs>